All right, let's get to the word. If you wouldn't mind, go ahead and turn with me to, uh, we're going to be in John chapter 13. We're going to be in John chapter 13, uh, verse 31 through 35. And before I read, just go there and let's park here for a second. I just want to give, uh, open this up. How many of you enjoyed what pastor spoke about last week? I feel that, um, I really feel like a lot of the things that he said last week, it's, it's something that the church in America needs to hear and every believer needs to hear. Because we've just come out of one of the most divisive political seasons that we've probably ex- have went through, at least in centuries, right? Would you agree with me? But it's not only political divisiveness and rhetoric and rage that's out there. Just even in our culture right now, there's this prevailing anger and anxiety. And how many of you see it in your everyday life? There's this, I mean, social media, when I log on to social media, I I always regret it and say, why did I get on here? Isn't that sad? Y'all remember when social media was like we used to share pic- pictures of our families and our meals and our and now it's just I, 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 I listen. I'm First Amendment speech right guy. I get all that, but when I log on to social media, I'm like, what did I just subject myself to? Because just in our culture, there's this prevailing just aggressive shout over each other, disrespect, disregard. Your opinion doesn't matter. Mine is. I'm right. You're wrong. And pastor spoke to us. I think what he spoke about last week is where we're at because all, the, all of those things are important. Politics are important. We're, we're, we are Americans. We are entitled to our, our opinions. How many of you are so glad that you live in a country that, promer, that promotes individual liberty? We love that. That's amazing. But... We cannot let the spirit of division, this, that spirit out that, 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 that's just wrecking culture out there. We have to fight to protect that from getting in here. And pastor, pastor spoke with us last week about, you know, the purity of heart, maintaining that, not giving into this temptation to join and just sow in discord everywhere, you know. And he talked about unity. And pastor said something, and this is where I want to pick up on this morning. And he says something, and I truly, truly believe this. He says societal transformation is the byproduct of healthy churches. Thank you. So I need a bigger amen. I, just that statement is preaching better than we're amening. Because we have forgotten that although government is important, it, it is very important. All of, the, all of those things are, are necessary. I'm, I don't want to downplay any of that. And you should care about poly, all that stuff. But we should never forget that the commandment to disciple nations was not given to any American or other international or any. St- it wasn't given to a local government. It was given to the church. He actually, in, in, in one of the, when, he, when he speaks of the church, the, the word literally in the Greek, the ecclesia, it's literally a government term. 
Did you know that we have governmental authority, not necessarily, uh, it's not that the same natural political power that we naturally think of, although we should be involved in politics. Jesus actually talked to us about the spiritual authority that we have. And he said he compared it to having governmental authority. And so what I'm saying is this, is I'm not downplaying the importance of all of that politics, all that. What I'm saying is this, is that we cannot let the, the, the divisiveness and the spirit of divisiveness that's out there and in that realm get into here because it, it causes us to lose track of what we're called to do and the mission that Jesus has called. Let me put it this way. The church is still God's plan A to bring the message of hope and transformation to the nations. That is our responsibility. And so in that same vein, I want to pick, pick up on something. And we're going we're gonna to read John in, in just a second. I want to speak from you from the subject, a divided church. I mean, I'm sorry, a divided world needs a united church. A divided world needs a united church. How many of you would say yes to that? And I, I want to start in, in a place that you wouldn't normally maybe think of. When you think about unity, I want to start with a, with a particular part of the scriptures that you probably would not automatically go to and neither normally would I. But this week I found myself meditating on something and thinking through something. Pastor, last week, and he's mentioned it over the last few months, how many of you know that even in Jesus' own inner circle, even in his 12 disciples, his own disciples disagreed on many things? I mean, that's not a secret, right? You read through this, through the Gospels, they were constantly in competition. They were vying and jockeying for for power, right? As Pastor pointed out, literally, some of his disciples were on the opposite ends of the political political spectrum. Even in Jesus' own followers, there's so much diversity. There are, there's so much they had in common. They had the same Jewish national identity. But when you really broke down the individual men, you could see major differences between them. Can I get an amen to that? That's not hard to see. And so I began to think about how Pastor brought that up. At his, at, at, in Jesus' own crew, I'll just say the word crew, his own disciples, they were different. And I began, for some reason this week, the Lord just placed this in my heart. We'll put up that graphic. I began to think about the Last Supper. They're going to put that up. How many of you have seen the movie The Passion of the Christ? This is just a a picture taken from that movie. And I began to meditate on this. And I'm going to tell you why, but first we're going to read. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, you you will find the stories in all of the gospel accounts, all three of those. You will see all of them give the account of how Jesus implemented the Last Supper, what we call communion. Amen? And how many know that communion is not just an act or something that we do? It's actually sacred and holy. It has been a sacrament of the church since the church was formed. Since this very night, communion is something that is sacred and holy. And so in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you will see they give attention and they want us to know that the Lord instituted and implemented the last supper but what's interesting is that john's gospel john mentions it but he does not focus on the same necessarily the same thing that the other gospels focus on maybe it's because john knew that they had already wrote it john instead chooses to focus on some of the details of that night 
John, when he talks about the Passover supper, the last supper that Jesus is eating with his disciples, John instead chooses to focus on two, mainly two things among other things. But among that, he focuses on how Jesus washed their feet and how Jesus gave them a new commandment. So let's read John chapter 13. If you're there, say there. Actually, I'm going to read from verse 33. If you wouldn't mind. He said, little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Also love one another. And listen to this. By this, someone say by this, come on, say it like you had some breakfast, say by this, they will know, all will know that you are my disciples if you have loved one for another. And you know what's, what I love about this verse is that it's in the red letters. This means that this came from the lips of Jesus. You know what I love about that? There's no room for debate. I love preaching the red letters because there's no room for debate. Jesus makes this profound statement. He says, a new commandment I give you. You know, what's, what's amazing is a lot of times we just read, we read over that part where he says a new commandment I give you and we go straight to the love one another. But here's what's so amazing about even that very statement. When Jesus says a new commandment I give you. It was actually, it actually says in the old Testament, it says that we are not allowed to add a law or take away a law. We are not allowed to add a commandment or take away a commandment. No man is allowed to do that, but this is not an ordinary man. This is the God man. This is our Lord. And he says, I give you a new command. The same way that God spoke to Moses on that mountain and gave him the commandments. So here God is in the flesh speaking to his disciples. And he says, a new commandment I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. And then he makes this profound statement. He says, by this all will know that you are my disciples. Now, I want want us for a minute... Because Jesus spoke these words at the Last Supper while he's with his, his disciples. I want us just for, for a moment to consider this. That our Lord, your Lord, my Lord, on his last night on earth, he spends it with these 12 men. To eat a meal, to wash their feet, and to give them instructions before he's to go to the cross. Even Judas gets his feet washed. I mean, see, I love this story because if it was my last night on earth, I would not want to spend it with Judas. Seriously, like some of the like, but 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 that's kind of the point. Thank God I'm not Jesus and thank God you are not. Because. He's so his ways are higher. I mean, if it was up to me, Judas would not have got that invite, right? So, so he's there and Jesus, 
spends his last night with his disciples. And so, so paint this picture. He brings them all to the table. Okay. And, and you know what I love about tables? Not, not only in their culture, but in every culture, tables are special. You know why? Because table is where we come to fellowship. Table is where we come to eat together. Table is where we come to to share a meal and to do life together. And you know what? This is a completely separate note. Not has anything to do with the message today. But I want to say, I believe in our culture in the West, we need to rediscover the dinner table in our homes. We've lost that. It's so... It's just so easy. Look, I mean, it's easy in our modern age. Dinner's done. Fix your plate. I got, I got my show on, on, my, on this tablet. The game's on and the thing. Oh, I'm getting my dinner and I'm running upstairs and doing homework. Trust me, I've done it. We've all done it. You know, what I'm saying is this, is that we need to fight again for that sacred space because table is important because that is one of the places where we actually come together and do life together. But I want you to see that on the last night that Jesus is, is, is going to be on this earth before he goes to the cross, he has his 12, okay? And these 12, like we said, they don't always see eye to eye on everything, do they? As a matter of fact, when you go through the gospels, you get the hint that some of them don't even like each other. Am I lying? As a matter of fact, in Luke's account, I encourage you to go through and read some of the accounts of the Last Supper. But in Luke's account, Luke even tells us while they're at the dinner table, they're arguing over who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Trust me when I tell you, especially anywhere you have 12 men together, anywhere you got that much testosterone, there's going to be some disagreement. But there were some major disagreements between them. There were some major jealousies between them. There were some major differences. And as Pastor pointed out, even politics. I just want to bring this up and I'm going somewhere. Are you with me? You have Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. We all know that. But, you know, when our mind, we automatically think about like, okay, what's a tax collector? The IRS. Most of us don't like the IRS. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Sorry. But it's like, but no, no, no. It's way worse. Because you have to understand that Israel, at the time that the scriptures are being written, they're occupied by the Roman army, the Roman Empire. Rome has conquered Palestine. The Jews are not free. And, and Rome put Pilate as its governor. And so what, what happened is every time, every year, it would come time to pay taxes. And they were paying taxes to the Roman Empire. So you have to understand there was already a lot of animosity politically And this is so good because a lot of times when we're living through political divisiveness, we have a tendency to think that we've never been here before. But trust me when I tell you, the world has been here before and it will probably be here again. Because history repeats itself and it repeats itself and it repeats itself. And during the time of Jesus, it was one of the most politically charged environments you could imagine. And so here at the dinner table, you have Matthew. And I read this one time that the Roman Empire, there were times where they taxed Palestine As much as 90%. And Matthew, being Jewish, though, is working for the Roman Empire to collect the taxes. 
right? It's no wonder that tax collectors had a bad reputation because they, they were literally working for the same people that were oppressing their people. And then on top of that, they were also known with kind of cheating, overcharging, and kind of skimming some off the top, right? You have Matthew, who's a tax collector. Then sitting at the same table, same table, you have Simon, who's called a zealot. A lot of times we're reading, we're reading the scriptures, you're like, I don't know what a zealot is, right? It's like, what's a zealot? A zealot literally was like a revolutionary fighter. This man was basically a freedom fighter. He was advocating for the overthrow of the Roman Empire. In the most literal way, they wanted to take up arms and fight, drive the Romans out of Palestine and get their country back. In other words, he was a rebel. You know, it's crazy is I was thinking this week that when I was younger, I had the chance to go to Israel. I've been to some of the forts. See, after Jesus left, he warned them. He said, do not try to, to conquer with violence. He warned them. He said, this kingdom is not about that. They didn't listen. And what happened was later on, these revolutionaries continued. And eventually Rome got tired of it and they sent legions and they said, go destroy Jerusalem. And they did. They came. And I've stood at some of the forts. Where the, the zealots made their last stand against the Roman Empire. I've been to some of those spots in Israel where the Romans wiped them out. And you have, so that's, that's one of Jesus' 12. Of course, he didn't remain a zealot. But when Jesus called Simon, he was a fighter, a rebel, a warrior. And honestly, you can kind of sympathize with his passion because... They were being occupied and oppressed, right? I mean, but here at this same table, you have all of these differences. And trust me when I tell you there were other major differences. To put it into today's terms, at this table, if we, if we were to have a modern Last Supper, you know who would be at Jesus' table? Republicans, Democrats, Green Party, Independent Party, New Party, New New Party, whatever party. People who are... Non-political, people who don't care. These men, some of them were as different as different can be. They liked different things. They even supported different football teams. Hopefully none of them were Cowboys fans. Sorry, I had to sneak it in. <laughs> but they didn't all agree on politics. And here, 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 here's my point though, guys. To us this morning, and this is what challenges me. But they were all at Jesus' table. They were all at his table. You know what that tells me? It tells me that, Je- that Jesus loves people that I disagree with. Jesus loves people that you disagree with. Let's kick it up a notch. Jesus loves people who vote differently than us. Oh, I got real quiet. It got real quiet. Jesus loves people who vote differently than me. And Jesus loves people who vote differently than you. (laughs) Okay, let's take it up a notch. Jesus loves people you don't like. That's so, isn't that inconvenient? Seriously. Jesus loves people who we don't like. I'll even go a step further. Jesus loves people that we hate. 
And I know what you're thinking. We shouldn't hate anyone. You're exactly right. But sometimes through our flesh and through the spirits of the age and everything working out, sometimes we, it wants to pull us down to that lower level, that, that, that flesh level where hate actually starts to boil up. But here is the point is that there was room for there was room at the table for all of Jesus disciples. And as 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 pastor pointed out, pastor said this last week. So if if you're mad about that, email him, not me. I'm just seconding the notion. There's room at table. There's room at the Jesus table for all of us, no matter how you vote. Oh, I wish I could get a better amen than that. You know what's really interesting about Jesus' ministry? Pay attention. A lot of the times that people got offended at Jesus, it was, uh, it was about who he chose to have dinner with. <laughs> but why were they all there? It's because they weren't there because they all decided... Hey, we want to get dinner together. Let's get dinner. Send out a mass text. We're doing dinner with Jesus. No, they're at dinner because Jesus invited them to the table. Trust me when I tell you, if you would have left up that guest list to one of them, I, I could almost guarantee you this is what would have happened. One of them would have been in charge of the text, right? Hey, go ahead and shoot a text to this person, this person, this person. Hey, but don't text Thomas. Thomas, Judas, a little sketchy, don't text Judas. Simon, man, that dude's rowdy, can't handle his political views. Do not invite Simon. Had, it, had one of the disciples managed that guest list, it wouldn't have been 12 men. It probably would have been their different cliques. The point is they're at the table because Jesus invites them to the table and they're not there at the table because they agree on everything. They're at the table because they're drawn to Jesus. They're, they're, they, they have encountered the love of God in such a way. They said, Jesus, wherever you're at, I want to be there. And if I got to tolerate these people, then I'll be there. they didn't see eye to eye on everything but see this is why when jesus is there you know this is how unity begins in the church when we talk about unity in the church let me step back for a second unity in the church is a lot different than what what the world or culture would call unity because out there to have unity there has to be so much agreement before there can be unity. Does that make sense? But in the kingdom, we are not unified because we see eye to eye on everything. We're unified because of our devotion and affection for one person. In other words, this. Actually, unity can't even first happen without him. Because Jesus has to draw us. That's what he does. That's why we're here this morning. You're here this morning, maybe because you're a member of Inspired Church. Maybe you love this church and that's amazing. But why, why were you first drawn here? You, were, you first came to become a Christian. You first came to this, what we're doing and what this is all about. You came because of a person. And that's how, because see, that, this type of unity doesn't exist out there. 
Nowhere else were, no one else could have got these 12 men together, but Jesus could. Because the Bible says he's the hope and the desire of all nations. But Jesus, so while he has his 12 there, are you guys tracking with me? He gives this, he says, a new command that I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Okay, let's, let, let, let's break this down, okay? Jesus is smart enough to know he's the glue that's been holding this group together. Guys, think about it. If they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest with Jesus present, what happens when Jesus is not there? Jesus knows he's the glue that's keeping all of this together. They are there because when Jesus turned to his disciples, everyone else deserted. When the crowds began to desert Jesus, Jesus turned to his disciples and said, are you going to go? And they said, where are we going to go? Only you have the words of life. They don't like each other. They're there for him. And Jesus knows that. But then he turns, he says, guys, listen, a new commandment, love one another. In other words, Jesus establishes this. If you love me, you have to love each other. And here's what I love about this. They're at a table. In other words, Jesus is going to say, if you are going to be at this table with me, you're going to have to be here with each other. The table represents communion. It represents fellowship. It represents the body. And Jesus is going to say, Jesus is basically telling them, if you want me, you have to have each other too. Let me break it down. If you belong to me, you belong to each other. That's why it was called the great. That's why we call it the commandments or the the great commands. Because they're not suggestions. He actually gave the command. Because when we, when we think about it, think about this. The very, very next, that night, Jesus is going to be arrested. And he's going to be crucified. He's going to literally be crucified the next day and be hanging on a cross. And the cross, I love it, that, that it's both horizontal and vertical. Because when God redeemed our relationship to God, the Bible says that he reconciled us to God. But when he reconciles us to God, the next thing he does is he reconciles us to one another. How many of you know that the cross was vertical and horizontal? And so when Jesus gives us command to love, you know, I was thinking about that this week. That's the inconvenient part. Because, you know, if you're like me, you're an introvert or, you know, wouldn't it be great if we could just come and have private devotion and love the Lord and not have to deal with each other sometimes? I mean, no, no, seriously, get real for a second. Wouldn't it be nice if we could just love the Lord and not have to deal with people, just you and your family, you know, love the Lord I mean, okay, let's take it a step further. Okay, okay, well, I like people. Well, it would be real convenient then if he said, hey, I get to love the Lord and then I get to love people who are just like me. Okay, Lord, if I'm, if I'm commanded to love people, at least let me love people who look like me, vote like me, think like me, and talk like me. Which is kind of weird because in a way it's like loving yourself. Oh, preaching better than you responded. This command is very inconvenient in this. Is that it's, it's the cruciform way of living. How many know that we are all called to carry a mantle 
we're called to carry our cross and follow him. To love people who are different than us is challenging. To love people who think different than us can be challenging. To love people who don't always think and vote and see things the way we see them, it can be challenging. For this group of men, when Jesus says you got to love each other, you got to understand, they don't, some of them are hoping some of them are going to fall off. But you know what? After he gives them the command, here's the part really that hits home to me. Jesus said, by this, by this, all will know that you're my disciple. Not, he didn't say they will know you're my disciple by how good you preach, how much scripture you can quote, how much wisdom you have. How long you've been going to church, how long you've been serving in this ministry or that ministry. Jesus said the world would know that we're his by how we love each other. Each other. No, no. Remember, now we're called to love the world. But right now he's talking to his disciples. In other words, what Jesus is saying, if like sometimes I think it's even easier for us to love the lost because we don't know them. Sometimes it's the hardest to love people you know. Oh my God. Isn't that the truth? Tell the truth, shame the devil right now. You know that's true. Sometimes it's easier for us to love the lost and we should love the lost. But Jesus said, wait, wait, wait. Before you, before you go out loving, you've got to love each other, your family. Because when we get reconciled to God, the minute, the day we get saved, and the Bible talks about how we receive the spirit of adoption. The minute you and I get saved, God became our father. We got adopted. But not only did we get a father, we got a family. And I know it's tough because you, we can't choose this family. God chooses it for us. And sometimes it's easy to love the lost, like I said, and we should. Because we don't know them and it's easy to, but, but sometimes it's harder to love people that you have to do life with because you got to, you know, all of their stuff. You know, Peter's crazy and any moment can pull out his sword. You know that Simon, you don't, you don't know if he's going to go off the rocker with whatever. You've, you've never really quite gotten over that Matthew was a tax collector. I mean, I'm being serious. I mean, this is where we live. Like, like, and Jesus says, the world's going to know you're my disciple by how you love one another. You know why? Because nowhere else can you see this. Everywhere else, people love each other because they're blood. They love each other because they agree. They love each other because they're alike. Nowhere else will you see such a diverse group of people come together and love each other. And Jesus said, when the world looks on and sees this, they will see me. They will see me. Are you with me this morning? So in other words, we are all brought to the table. We're all at the table. Listen, we didn't come to the table because so-and-so's there. We all came because he's there. But here's, here, here's the thing. We were brought together because of God's love for us and his love for, I mean, yes, his love for us and our love for him. But here's the thing. If we're going to stay at the table and live in fellowship, we are going to have to begin to love each other. And not only love each other, but love each other well. Are you with me this morning? And here's why that's important. Because in the times that we're living in, it's so divisive. You know, one of the things that I've, that I've been watching in culture and something that's very tempting for all of us to do. 
You know, you can call it cancel culture. You can call it whatever you want. I'm just watching how easily we all dismiss each other. Oh, you think that way? Bye. Unfriend, block. See, that's, 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 that's one of the things that's so terrible about division. Because if you separate yourself from somebody... And, I, and I, I do understand in scripture, there are times when you are told to distance yourself from certain people. But remember, that's in extreme cases. Jesus never gave us permission just to, to, to avoid our brothers and sisters just because we have slight disagreements. When Jesus said to separate yourself from certain people, he's, he's talking about extreme moments, right? But if you pay attention to what's going on in culture and it started to spill over even into the, it, hopefully it's not, but it started to, you can see the fringes of it even coming into the church where it's like, oh, who, oh, I found out who you voted for, so I can't sit next to you. I found out who you, what you think. And it's like, it's like where we allow the spirit of divisiveness to come in. And what's so tragic about it is if I'm divided from you, I don't have to have relationship with you. But see, if you love someone, okay, to love someone means to, to value your connection with them. Am I right? If you truly love someone and you value your connection to them, it, 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 it causes us to rethink how we approach and say things. Or at least it should. Because I'm... Every, like Pastor said last week, I think it's so important to remember this. Everyone's entitled to their opinion. Everyone's entitled to, to think for themselves. Everyone's entitled. And we should all, whenever there's, a, whenever there's an issue, you've got to fall on the side of truth. Don't misunderstand me. You've got to speak truth and stand for truth. Amen and amen. But hear what I'm saying. I think that sometimes we have tried to be right and we've missed righteousness. Right? Did you hear what I, I think sometimes our, we're so busy trying to be right that we miss righteousness. And Jesus was a master at this because he was constantly drawn into all these discussions. And even he, I, a lot of times we don't think about it, but many times he was drawn into politically charged questions. And Jesus had a way of addressing them. He would affirm certain things, but then he would stand outside of them and he would call people higher. Amen. And so we are entitled, of course, to our views and our opinions, but we need to cherish the bond and the love that we have for one another. And we need to protect that connection. Amen. John chapter 17, would you turn with me there? And I'm I'm about to wrap this up. Are you you guys with me this morning? Is this okay this morning? John chapter 17, I'm going to be in verse 20. This is what Jesus says. After Jesus eats supper with his disciples, we know that Jesus goes into praying. And John gives us a lot of insight. So first Jesus prays for himself. Then he prays for his disciples. And then he prays for, he actually then prays for us, which is pretty remarkable. Because He prays for himself, then he prays for his immediate disciples, and then he prays for those who will become his later. Aren't you glad that you're his? Oh, come on. I said, aren't you glad that you're his? 
And, 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 that, and, that, and that reminds me, I, I did forget to say this. We need to remember that. He said, they'll know you're my disciples. We need to remember that we belong to him first. Before we belong to any party, any cultural group, any societal class, whatever groups exist out there, before we belong to anything, we are his. We are his, his, his. Before we have loyalty to anything else, our love and loyalty is to our Lord. Mm. And so Jesus is praying for those who would become his. Listen to what he says. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That they may all be one. Someone say one. As you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. So when Jesus is praying for his disciples and then he's praying for us, he's saying he thanks the Lord for the disciples that God had already given them. And he said, Lord, I'm also praying for the ones who are coming. He's talking about me and you. Isn't that amazing that the Lord prayed for us 2,000 years ago and we get to read his prayer? And here's what he prayed to the Father. Father, make them one. Here's, but here, though, to me, it's always, a lot of times it's like this. It's that end statement. He says, so that the world may believe that you sent me. He, he connects the church being one to the world believing that he sent him. That means this, our unity either hinders the move of God or participates and activates it. And this is why the enemy loves us to not, you know, to excuse, well, I don't like so, I don't have to. He loves to stir things up in us and stir things around us and stir and, and, and to where, you know, before you know it, he loves it because he knows that if he can come between us He knows that we're the agency that God uses to change the world. So if he can come between us, because Jesus said, if you love one another, they'll know you're my disciples. And he said, and if you're one, they'll believe that you sent me. Because think about it. If we're not one, if we're not loving one another and people, the world is looking on at us and they say, wow, Christians treat each other as badly as we do. Why would we want to become a Christian? Christians hate each other the way we, why would, in other words, when Jesus said the world will see that we're one, I think that the world should literally look at us and say that can only happen by a miracle. Only God can bring together, listen, only God can bring together people who would never normally come together under any circumstances. Some of us would have never known each other. Some of us would have never been in fellowship. But the Lord brought us together. Why? We were all drawn to the cross and we were brought near by his blood. And when we got him, we got each other. And the Lord is challenging us, I believe, in this season to remember we don't get him without each other. It don't work that way. 
And I, I, this is what I really feel, and I believe this strongly, is in this last election season, one of the things, one of the observations that came out, and it challenged me as well, is that one of the things that I really feel is that, that we've got to get back to the basics. The basics again. It brought out the need to return to some of the red letters of Jesus. Because the apostle Paul said, he said, I could, I could speak in tongues of angels. I could understand all mysteries. He said, you could even burn my body at the stake for the gospel. He said, I could even become a martyr. He says, but if I don't have love in my heart, I'm bankrupt. And I think that some of us have forgotten this. You may have won an argument. You may be right. But if you don't have love in your heart, you have stepped out of righteousness and you have stepped into something else that's not godly. And God is calling us back to radical unity, which means this, I'm going to choose to love even when it's inconvenient even when i'm uh, tempted to be offended even here's another one even when you have a reason to be offended you know a lot of times we want to talk about our rights I'm, i have a right to be listen jesus had a right as they're nailing him to the cross he has a right he says father forgive them for they don't know what they do You know, I, I, rights are important as Americans, but when we come into the kingdom, my friend told me this. He said, the kingdom isn't about, our, in, in being Americans about rights, but in the kingdom, it's not about the rights, it's about the king. When I came into the kingdom, I said, Lord, I'm signing up for a life that says, Lord, not my will, but your will. Not my way, but my way. Because if I have my way, then, I, you know, of course I'm, gonna, I, I'm only going to love people who are like me or think like me or this. I, I don't, I don't want to have to, you know, it's so inconvenient to have to love. No, but God says, when you come into this kingdom, we're family. And he says, love one another. And I'm ending here. Ephesians chapter 4. Just turn with me real quick. I'm out of time. I have to hurry. Is this okay this morning? Like I said, I know it's not some high and lofty word this morning, but I really believe we're in a season where the Lord has challenged us to return to some of these basics. To keep our hearts pure. And as much as we can, to be untainted from the spirits and the things that are at work in our culture. Amen? This is what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which you were called. Listen, with all lowliness and gentleness, listen to this, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love. Someone say in love. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit. He says, bearing with one another in love. You know, in another place, the apostle Paul says, bear one another's burdens. But listen, not only are we to bear each other's burdens, like if you have a need or you need help, I'm, obviously I'm, we're, we're called to serve and help each other. But when he says bear with one another in love, do you know what bearing with someone means sometimes? It means I got to bear that you think differently than me. I have to bear that you're not like me. I have to bear that we have different preferences. In other words, bearing with one another in love is not always easy, but we're called to do it. And he says, why? Endeavoring. You know what endeavoring means? It basically means to work. He says, work to keep the unity of the spirit. Oh, this is so good this morning. I love his word. 
He says, we've got to endeavor to keep this kind of unity. It doesn't come easy. It's the higher calling. Pastor always talks to us about the upward call. We've got to go higher and not allow ourselves to be pulled down to the level of of, of where we see the culture is at right now. We've got to pick up our, seriously, I mean, I feel this right now as I'm saying it. If there was ever a time we needed to pick up our cross and follow him, it was right now. Right now. Amen. Stand with me to your feet, if you wouldn't mind. A divided nation needs a united church. It's so important for us to remember what this is all about and why we're even here. We're here for our Lord, right? And I know it gets challenging and unity is not easy and all that, but here's the thing. In the kingdom of God, like I said, I don't believe we get unity just by talking about unity. We get unity by focusing on him. Because Jesus said, if I be, if I be take, drawn, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Sometimes the, 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 the animus and sometimes the spirit of divisiveness wants to get in between us when we, when we are tempted to only look at each other's differences or flaws and we get our eyes off the Lord. But I feel like in this season, we need to put our gaze back on him. And you know what? It's so good when you read these commandments, the red letters of Jesus. It's good. I, like, I don't know about you, but I like to do this. I like to close my eyes and I like to picture that Jesus is talking to me. Like when he told Peter, Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. Sometimes it's good to close your eyes and just imagine that Jesus is talking to you and say, if you love me, Love one another. And if you say, Lord, I don't feel like loving so-and-so. I don't want to love so-and-so. If you don't do it for any other reason, do it for him. Love the ones that are difficult for him. Fight for unity for him. Because... There's a strategy for why the enemy wants to divide us. And I'm ending. I really, really am. It's because he knows that God wants to send one of the greatest revivals we've ever seen. I believe we're on the cusp of it. But here, here's what will stop it. A divided church. Because when the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost, it says that they were all in one mind. The Holy Spirit falls. They begin to speak in tongues, right? But what does the Bible also say? As they begin to speak in tongues, they actually begin to speak the languages of other nations. And and you know what happened? People heard their language. They said, how are they speaking our language? And they run. And then Peter gets up and preaches and 3,000 people are saved. In other words, this, when the Holy Spirit fell, the first thing that happened was God brought in the nations. Oh, you didn't hear me. You didn't hear me. When the Holy Spirit fell, he brought in the nations. They didn't come because Peter was the best preacher. They didn't come to hear Matthew's ministry. They heard their language. And you know what that means is that when, that means when we're one and the spirit can have his way, God will draw people and bring people to this table that we could have never drawn. People would have never came here. 
And, and God is saying, if you will just, if we will just endeavor to love one another, he is, he is commanded to fight and endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit. There is no limitations to what God can do. So this morning, I just want to challenge us in these words to fight for unity, to make a commitment to love one another. Listen, in this season, guard your heart. Do not be easily offended, but keep your love turned on. And I'm going to end with this again. Societal transformation is the byproduct of healthy churches. It is the byproduct of healthy churches. Come on, let's give God praise.